Chapter Three of Pyrrhus by Jacob Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Early Life of Pyrrhus, B.C. 332 to 295. In the two preceding chapters, we have related that portion of the history of Macedonia which it is necessary to understand in order rightly to appreciate the nature of the difficulties in which the royal family of epirus was involved at the time when pyrrhus first appeared upon the stage the sources of these difficulties were two first the uncertainty of the line of succession there being two branches of the royal family each claiming the throne which state of things was produced in a great measure by the interposition of olympias in the affairs of epirus some years before and secondly the act of olympias in inducing Asides to come to macedonia to embark in her quarrel against cassander there of course since there were two lines of princes both claiming the throne no sovereign of either line could hold anything more than a divided empire over the hearts of his subjects and consequently when Asides left the kingdom to fight the battles of olympias in macedon it was comparatively easy for the party opposed to him to effect a revolution and raise their own prince to the throne the prince whom olympias had originally made king of epirus to the exclusion of the claimant belonging to the other branch of the family was her own brother his name was alexander he was the son of neoptolemus the rival branch of the family were the children of arimbus the brother of neoptolemus this alexander flourished at the same time as alexander the great and in his character very much resembled his distinguished namesake he commenced a career of conquest in italy at the same time that his nephew embarked in his in asia and commenced it too under very similar circumstances one went to the east and another to the west each determined to make himself master of the world the alexander of macedon succeeded the alexander of epirus failed the one acquired consequently universal and perpetual renown while the memory of the other has been almost entirely neglected and forgotten one reason unquestionably for the difference in these results was the difference in the character of the enemies respectively against whom the two adventurers had to contend alexander of epirus went westward into italy where he had to encounter the soldiery of the romans a soldiery of the most rugged determined and indomitable character alexander of macedon on the other hand went to the east where he found only asiatic races to contend with whose troops though countless in numbers and magnificently appointed 
in respect to all the purposes of parade and display were yet enervated with luxury and wholly unable to stand against any energetic and determined foe in fact alexander of epirus used to say that the reason why his nephew alexander of macedon had succeeded while he himself had failed was because he himself had invaded countries peopled by men while the macedonian in his asiatic campaign had encountered only women however this may be the campaign of alexander of epirus in italy had a very disastrous termination the occasion of his going there was a request which he had received from the inhabitants of tarentum that he would come over and assist them in a war in which they were engaged with some neighboring tribes tarentum was a city situated toward the western shore of italy it was at the head of the deep bay called the gulf of tarentum which bay occupies the hollow of the foot that the form of italy represents to the eye as seen upon a map tarentum was accordingly across the adriatic sea from epirus the distance was about two hundred miles by taking a southerly route and going up the gulf of tarentum this distance might be traversed wholly by sea a little to the north the adriatic is narrow the passage there being only about fifty miles across to an expedition however taking this course there would remain after arriving on the italian shore fifty miles or more to be accomplished by land in order to reach tarentum before deciding to comply with the request of the tarentines that he would come to their aid alexander sent to a celebrated oracle in epirus called the oracle of dodona to inquire whether it would be safe for him to undertake the expedition to his inquiries the oracle gave him this for an answer the waters of acheron will be the cause of your death and pandosia is the place where you will die alexander was greatly rejoiced at receiving this answer acheron was a stream of epirus and pandosia was a town upon the banks of it he understood the response to mean that he was fated to die quietly in his own country at some future period probably a remote one and that there was no danger in his undertaking the expedition to which he had been called he accordingly set sail from epirus and landed in italy and there believing that he was fated to die in epirus and not in italy he fought in every battle with the most desperate and reckless bravery and achieved prodigies of valor the possibility that there might be an acheron and a pandosia in italy as well as in epirus did not occur to his mind for a time he was very successful in his career he fought battles gained victories conquered cities and established his dominion over quite an extended region in order to hold what he had gained he sent over a great number of hostages to epirus to be kept there as security for the continued submission of those whom he had subdued 
these hostages consisted chiefly as was usual in such cases of children at length in the course of the war an occasion arose in which it was necessary for the protection of his troops to encamp them on three hills which were situated very near to each other these hills were separated by low interval lands and a small stream but at the time when alexander established his encampment the stream constituted no impediment to free intercommunication between the different divisions of his army there came on however a powerful rain the stream overflowed its banks the intervals were inundated this enabled the enemy to attack two of alexander's encampments while it was utterly impossible for alexander himself to render them any aid the enemy made the attack and were successful in it the two camps were broken up and the troops stationed in them were put to flight those that remained with alexander becoming discouraged by the hopeless condition in which they found themselves placed mutinied and sent to the camp of the enemy offering to deliver up alexander to them dead or alive as they should choose on condition that they themselves might be allowed to return to their native land in peace this proposal was accepted but before it was put in execution alexander having discovered the plot placed himself at the head of a determined and desperate band of followers broke through the ranks of the enemies that surrounded him and made his escape to a neighboring wood from this wood he took a route which led him to a river intending to pass the river by a bridge which he expected to find there and then to destroy the bridge as soon as he had crossed it so as to prevent his enemies from following him by this means he hoped to make his way to some place of safety he found on arriving at the brink of the stream that the bridge had been carried away by the inundation he however pressed forward into the water on horseback intending to ford the stream the torrent was wild and the danger was imminent but alexander pressed on at length one of the attendants seeing his master in imminent danger of being drowned exclaimed aloud this cursed river well is it named acheron the word acheron in the original language signifies river of sorrow by this exclamation alexander learned for the first time that the river he was crossing bore the same name with the one in epirus which he supposed had been referred to in the warning of the oracle he was at once overwhelmed with consternation he did not know whether to go forward or to return the moment of indecision was suddenly ended by a loud outcry from his attendants giving the alarm that the traitors were close upon him alexander then pushed forward across the water he succeeded in gaining the bank but as soon as he did so a dart from one of his enemies reached him and killed him on the spot his lifeless body fell back into the river and was floated down the stream until at length it reached the camp of the enemy which happened to be on the bank of the stream below 
here it was drawn out of the water and subjected to every possible indignity the soldiers cut the body in two and sending one part to one of the cities as a trophy of their victory they set up the other part in the camp as a target for the soldiers to shoot at with darts and javelins at length a woman came into the camp and with earnest entreaties and many tears begged the soldiers to give the mutilated corpse to her her object in wishing to obtain possession of it was that she might send it home to epirus to the family of alexander and buy with it the liberty of her husband and her children who were among the hostages which had been sent there the soldiers acceded to this request and the parts of the body having been brought together again were taken to epirus and delivered to olympias by whom the remains were honourably interred we must presume that the woman who sent them obtained the expected reward in the return of her husband and children though of this we are not expressly informed of course the disastrous result of this most unfortunate expedition had the effect in epirus of diminishing very much the popularity and the strength of that branch of the royal family namely the line of neoptolemus to which alexander had belonged accordingly instead of being succeeded by one of his brothers ascides the father of pyrrhus who was the representative of the other line was permitted quietly to assume the crown it might have been expected that olympias would have opposed his accession as she was herself a princess of the rival line she did not however do so on the contrary she gave him her support and allied herself to him very closely and he on his part became in subsequent years one of her most devoted adherents and friends when olympias was shut up in pydna by the army of cassander as was related in the last chapter and sent for ascides to come to her aid he immediately raised an army and marched to the frontier he found the passes in the mountains which led from epirus to macedonia all strongly guarded but he still determined to force his way through he soon however began to observe marks of discontent and dissatisfaction among the officers of his army these indications increased until at length the disaffection broke out into open mutiny as stated in the last chapter ascides then called his forces together and gave orders that all who were unwilling to follow him into macedon should be allowed freely to return he did not wish he said that any should accompany him on such an expedition excepting those who went of their own free will a considerable part of the army then returned but instead of repairing peaceably to their homes they raised a general insurrection in epirus and brought the family of neoptolemus again to the throne a solemn decree of the state was passed 
declaring that Acedes, in withdrawing from the kingdom had forfeited his crown and banishing him for ever from the country and as this revolution was intended to operate not merely against Acedes personally but against the branch of the royal family to which he belonged the new government deemed it necessary in order to finish their work and make it sure that many of his relatives and friends and especially his infant son and heir should die several of the members of a city's family were accordingly killed though the attendants in charge succeeded in saving the life of the child by a sudden flight the escape was effected by the instrumentality of two of the officers of Acedes' household named androclides and angelus these men as soon as the alarm was given hurried the babe away with only such nurses and other attendants as it was necessary to take with them the child was still unweaned and though those in charge made the number of attendants as small as possible still the party were necessarily of such a character as to forbid any great rapidity of flight a troop was sent in pursuit of them and soon began to draw near when androclides found that his party would be overtaken by the troop he committed the child to the care of three young men bidding them to ride on with him at their utmost speed to a certain town in macedon called megare where they thought he would be safe and then he himself and the rest of his company turned back to meet the pursuers they succeeded partly by their representations and entreaties and partly by such resistance and obstruction as it was in their power to make in stopping the soldiers where they were at length having though with some difficulty succeeded in getting away from the soldiers androclides and angelus rode on by secret ways till they overtook the three young men they now began to think that the danger was over at length a little after sunset they approached the town of megare there was a river just before the town which looked too rough and dreadful to be crossed the party however advanced to the brink and attempted to ford the stream but they found it impossible it was growing dark the water of the river having been swelled by rains was very high and boisterous and they found that they could not get over at length they saw some of the people of the town coming down to the bank on the opposite side they were in hopes that these people could render them some assistance in crossing the stream and they began to call out to them for this purpose but the stream ran so rapidly and the roaring of the torrent was so great that they could not make themselves heard the distance was very inconsiderable for the stream was not wide but though the party with pyrrhus called aloud and earnestly and made signs holding up the child in their arms to let the people see him they could not make themselves understood at last after spending some time in these fruitless efforts one of the party who were with pyrrhus thought of the plan of writing what they wished to say upon a piece of bark and throwing it across the stream to those on the other side they accordingly pulled off some bark 
from a young oak which was growing on a bank of the river and succeeded in making characters upon it by the means of the tongue of a buckle sufficient to say that they had with them pyrrhus the young prince of epirus and that they were flying with him to save his life and to implore the people on the other side to contrive some way to get them over the river this piece of bark they then managed to throw across the stream some say they rolled it around a javelin and then gave the javelin to the strongest of their party to throw others say that they attached it to a stone in some way or other they contrived to give it a sufficient momentum to carry it across the water and the people on the other side when they obtained it and read what was written upon it were greatly excited by the tidings and engaged at once with ardour and enthusiasm in efforts to save the child they brought axes and began to cut down trees to make a raft in due time the raft was completed and notwithstanding the darkness of the night and the force and swiftness of the current of the stream the party of fugitives succeeded in crossing upon it and thus brought the child and all the attendants accompanying him safely over the party with pyrrhus did not intend to stop at megaray they did not consider it safe in fact for them to remain in any part of macedon not knowing what course the war between polysperchon and cassander would take there or how the parties engaged in the contest might stand affected toward pyrrhus they determined therefore to press forward in their flight till they had passed through macedon and reached the country beyond the country north of macedon on the western coast the one in which they determined to seek refuge was illyria the name of the king of illyria was glaucius they had reason to believe that glaucius would receive and protect the child for he was connected by marriage with the royal family of epirus his wife baroa being a princess of the line of Assides, when the fugitives arrived at the court of glaucius they went to the palace where they found glaucius and baroa and after telling the story of their danger and escape they laid the child down as a suppliant at the feet of the king glaucius felt not a little embarrassed at the situation in which he was placed and did not know what to do he remained for a long time silent at length little pyrrhus who was all the while lying at his feet began to creep closer toward him and finally taking hold of the king's robe he began to climb up by it and attempted to get into his lap looking up into the king's face at the same time with a countenance in which the expression of confidence and hope was mingled with a certain instinctive infantile fear the heart of the king was so touched by this mute appeal that he took the child up in his arms dismissed at once all prudential considerations from his mind and in the end delivered the boy to the queen baroa directing her to bring him up with her own children cassander soon discovered the place of pyrrhus's retreat and he made great efforts to induce glaucius to give him up 
he offered glaucius a very large sum of money if he would deliver pyrrhus into his hands but glaucius refused to do it cassander would perhaps have made war upon glaucius to compel him to comply with this requisition but he was then fully occupied with the enemies that threatened him in greece and macedon he did subsequently make an attempt to invade the dominions of glaucius and to get possession of the person of pyrrhus but the expedition failed and after that the boy was allowed to remain in illyria without any further molestation time passed on until at length pyrrhus was twelve years old during this interval great changes took place in the affairs of cassander in macedon at first he was very successful in his plans he succeeded in expelling polly's birchon from the country and in establishing himself as king he caused roxana and the young alexander to be assassinated as was stated in the last chapter so as to remove out of the way the only persons who he supposed could ever advance any rival claims to the throne for a time everything went well and prosperously with him but at length the tide of his affairs seemed to turn a new enemy appeared against him in asia a certain distinguished commander named demetrius who afterward became one of the most illustrious personages of his age just at this time too the king of epirus alcetus the prince of the family of neoptolemus who had reigned during pyrrhus's exile in illyria died glaucius deemed this a favourable opportunity for restoring pyrrhus to the throne he accordingly placed himself at the head of an army and marched into epirus taking the young prince with him no effectual resistance was made and pyrrhus was crowned king he was of course too young actually to reign and a sort of regent was accordingly established in power with authority to govern the country in the young king's name until he should come of age this state of things could not be very stable it endured about five years and during this time pyrrhus seemed to be very firmly established in power the strength of his position however was more apparent than real for the princes of the other branch of the family who had been displaced by pyrrhus's return to power were of course discontented and restless all the time they were continually forming plots and conspiracies and were only waiting for an opportunity to effect another revolution the opportunity at length came one of the sons of glaucius was to be married pyrrhus had been the companion and playmate of this prince during his residence in illyria and was of course invited to the wedding supposing that all was safe in his dominions he accepted the invitation and went to illyria while he was there amusing himself in the festivities and rejoicings connected with the wedding his rivals raised a rebellion took possession of the government and all of pyrrhus's treasures killed or put to flight his partisans and friends and raised a prince of the family of neoptolemus to the throne pyrrhus found himself once more an exile 
the revolution in epirus was so complete that after careful consideration and inquiry pyrrhus could see with the resources he had at his command no hope of recovering his throne but being of an ambitious and restless spirit he determined not to remain idle and he concluded therefore to enter into the service of demetrius in his war against cassander there were two considerations which led him to do this in the first place cassander was his most formidable enemy and the prospect of his being ultimately restored again to his throne would depend almost entirely he well knew upon the possibility of destroying or at least curtailing cassander's power then besides demetrius was especially his friend the wife of demetrius was Dedamia, the sister of pyrrhus so that pyrrhus looked upon demetrius as his natural ally he accordingly offered to enter the service of demetrius and was readily received in fact notwithstanding his youth for he was now only seventeen or eighteen years of age demetrius gave him a very important command in his army and took great pains to instruct him in the art of war it was not long before an opportunity was afforded to make trial of pyrrhus's capacity as a soldier a great battle was fought at ipsus in asia minor between demetrius on one side and cassander on the other besides these two commanders there were many princes and generals of the highest rank who took part in the contest as allies of the principal combatants which had the effect of making the battle a very celebrated one and of causing it to attract very strongly the attention of all mankind at the time when it occurred the result of the contest was on the whole unfavourable to the cause of demetrius his troops generally were compelled to give way though the division which pyrrhus commanded retained their ground pyrrhus in fact acquired great renown by his courage and energy and perhaps still more by his success on this occasion young as he was demetrius immediately gave him a new and very responsible command and entrusted to him the charge of several very important expeditions and campaigns in all of which the young soldier evinced such a degree of energy and courage combined too with so much forethought prudence and military skill as presaged very clearly his subsequent renown at length an alliance was formed between demetrius and ptolemy king of egypt and as security for the due execution of the obligations assumed by demetrius in the treaty which they made ptolemy demanded a hostage pyrrhus offered to go himself to egypt in this capacity ptolemy accepted him and pyrrhus was accordingly taken in one of ptolemy's ships across the mediterranean to alexandria in egypt the young prince was of course an object of universal attention and regard he was tall and handsome in person agreeable in manners and amiable and gentle in disposition his royal rank the fame of the exploits which he had performed 
the misfortunes of his early years and the strange and romantic adventures through which he had passed all conspired to awaken a deep interest in his favour at the court of ptolemy the situation of a hostage too is always one which strongly attracts the sympathy and kind feelings of those who hold him in custody a captive is regarded in some sense as an enemy and though his hard lot may awaken a certain degree of pity and commiseration still the kind feeling is always modified by the fact that the object of it after all though disarmed and helpless is still a foe a hostage however is a friend he comes as security for the faithfulness of a friend and an ally so that the sympathy and interest which are felt for him as an exile from his native land are heightened by the circumstances that his position makes him naturally an object of friendly regard the attachment which soon began to be felt for pyrrhus in the court of ptolemy was increased by the excellent conduct and demeanour which he exhibited while he was there he was very temperate and moderate in his pleasures and upright and honourable in all his doings in a word he made himself a general favourite and after a year or two he married antigone a princess of the royal family from being a hostage he now became a guest and shortly afterward ptolemy fitted out an expedition to proceed to epirus and restore him to his throne on arriving in epirus pyrrhus found everything favourable to the success of his plans the people of the country had become discontented with the government of the reigning king and were very willing to receive pyrrhus in his place the revolution was easily effected and pyrrhus was thus once more restored to his throne End of chapter three